0: How are you doing? I'm Doug Devaney and you're listening to The Plastic Podcast's Tales of the Irish Diaspora. And this month marks our third anniversary. Three years old, just imagine, your favourite diaspora discussion platform is nearly old enough for nursery. In our time we've outlasted Covid, three Prime Ministers and 45 interviewees. And now we're on to number 46, no time for birthday cakes or anniversary reveries for us, oh no. Which is a pity, because Emma O'Rourke is a specialist in memory and translating it into art. A fine artist combining drawing and painting, Emma uses archive material, both personal and public, to create fresh new abstracts, both reflecting past reminiscences and provoking future imaginings. Her most recent show, Vessels, took place at Wilsdon Gallery and was inspired in part by the Brent Museum Archive of Irish Migration to London. But let's move to matters of memory later. Instead, let's begin, as ever, with the present by asking Emma O'Rourke, how you doing?
1: I'm doing good. I'm good. I I was thinking, actually, I needed to start with, um I need a kind of anecdote or like a interesting story to tell you, but... There's not much, uh, apart from I've done the school run this morning. um, There's not much else (laughs) to give you, really. um, I'm writing a newsletter, if that's of interest. For whom? For me. Well, for my mailing list.
0: When you're actually reviewing what you've done or where you've been and so forth, is it kind of, this feels really weird because I know what I've done? Or you're looking at yourself and your work... not through your own perspective
1: yeah it's it is weird I think that in general now about um I think that's the uh, the being in the arts industry and the way you you almost have to you have your work and then you're essentially marketing it in a certain way on social media because you have to put it out there and then come to put together a newsletter you're talking about it's hard to separate sometimes what what you should talk about and what you shouldn't talk about and what what's of interest especially with especially as well because you've got different audiences and people might follow you or be interested in your work for different reasons so it's like how much you give away about what you're doing how much people are going to be interested in say the research side are people going to be more interested to come to a show you've got going on but it is weird You, you have to you have to sort of um look at it from a yeah, from an outside perspective to sort of see, to see as well what you have done. The other thing is I don't think when you're doing things, I don't think you always necessarily see them as things that you're doing, if that makes sense. So you're kind of, you're almost doing the things, you just, they're, they're so obvious to you that you're doing them. You have to kind of, for me personally, I just do everything through um, photos on my phone. So I just go through, go through things per month and say, oh, that's what I did, I just photograph everything. Cause I just, otherwise, I just can't remember. That's probably more my memory than anything else. But um, but yeah. So yeah, it is strange. I think.
0: But speaking of memory, of course, memory was very much uh, central to the project that you've done recently in Brent.
1: It was memory was a big part of the project. Um, yeah, I think my I think in general with the work I'm making now, I'm more interested in memory as a feeling as opposed to the exact memory. Um, and I think that about uh, work that I showed at the, um, at Vessels last year. So, so the show came about from, um, I moved into a studio at Second Floor Studios and Arts in Wembley Park in September 21. Um, and it was around, it was a few months later that I started researching at the um, Brent Museum and Archives in Willstone Green Library and I was researching the history of Irish migration to London from about roughly the 1940s onwards, in like particular that area of London, so Northwest London, um, and that's where my family migrated to. Um, so it started, yeah, so I, I started kind of the research and then I was going through my own family archive of photographs and then alongside of that, I was making lots of like drawings day to day. And the show really, so the show was last November it opened um, at Wilson Gallery which the archive is upstairs and the show really was all of that put together so it was it was if although it felt like the kind of it was all the research and the work I've made alongside and um, images and um, documents and stuff from the archive it very much felt like for me the start of the project was like the start of putting it out there seeing what the reception would be and then using that to think about how I would take the work forward. But I feel like be- the work is very much based around stories and people's experiences. Um, so it really needed that. It needed to be put out there, I think, to be able to, for me to, like, fully be able to see it myself as well. Um, Yeah.
0: Family was huge in the pieces that you displayed.
1: Yeah, family was a big, um a big theme. And so I can, yeah, so my mum grew up in... Um, mainly in Wilsdon they moved around a little bit. So she was in Wilsdon and they were in Harlesden when I was born. But both her parents moved to London from Mayo. They got married in Wilsdon in '53, I think it was. Um, and then my mum and her three brothers, yeah, they grew up in London. So they had a very traditional London Irish upbringing of going home to Ireland for the summer, um, but living in Arl- living in London. Sorry. Um, And it was very much like, I think it was particularly that area of London at the time. It was, you know, most people around them had Irish parents and it was a very like big Irish community. Um, And a lot of them, my nan's sisters were here as well. So, yeah, they had like a big community around them. Um, And then my dad, my dad was born in Leash and he moved over to London in 85. Um, Yeah, and then then he met my mum and obviously he stayed but um, but yeah. So I think so. Their experiences um, was probably where the interest in researching um, Irish migration to London came from. Really, I think I guess it's always been about you know trying to like find your identity amongst that. And it's a uh, I've I've kind of grown up with. I've had a very traditional um, Irish like Catholic working class upbringing, but. And I was born in Brent so I was born in central Middlesex in 87 and we were in the area till I was about four which moved a bit further out um, but yes yeah, so it, it's it's been sort of it's only when you get older I think and it's mainly since I had my son that I realized I had more of an Irish upbringing than I was aware of. I think especially when you go to all Catholic school all your friends have also got Irish parents or Irish family so it just feels like that's everyone and then obviously you get older and you experience like more of the world and you realise not everyone is Catholic um which I really didn't I really that was actually quite a big shock for me because I really thought everyone was Catholic for a very long time <laughs> which is um which is crazy um I still I, I do remember actually I remember um meeting someone at uni who was Christian and I was I was really confused by the difference it just never really occurred to me, but yeah, so, so, every, so anyways, so everyone was very similar. So it's only, it, it took kind of that as well. I think it took me, um, leaving home, moving away and then kind of coming back to the area to make me see it differently, really. Um, and be interested in that and be interested in this idea of what it means to be not British, not Irish, just kind of, yeah, somewhere in between. And that, that really is where the exhibition came from. Um, it's the idea of being displaced but more as a I don't know how I worded it in the press release physiological state I think it was so you're you can't you're not either or and you're you're somewhere in between but you've got you've got the experiences of where you grew up um, and then you've got a lot of what you especially from a younger in your younger years you're very much a product of what you're told by your family and that's where your belief systems will come from so yeah that's really that's really where the interest came from i think
0: i'm rapidly coming to the conclusion that diaspora is a separate identity in and of itself
1: interesting that's really interesting it's definitely the more um the more work i've done on it and the more stories i've heard people do like you said there there definitely is a sense of um people do people really connect with other people that have experienced it um, and like you're saying that in itself feels like re- regardless of what your background is or where your parents are from, it feels like there's a similar a similar sense throughout, I think, with people that have that feeling of your, the idea that you're kind of searching for searching to find yourself within that, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Um, going across to your parents actually because their story is slightly atypical in as much as um, your mum is second generation. Yeah. um, And your dad is first generation having come across and so forth. And and Mm -hmm. most of the Irish family stories that you hear, mum and dad meet having come across around about the same sort of time or that they are second generation together or or this sort of thing. So your mum has this very typical, it's like London Irish upbringing of the the family holidays across to see the folks back in Ireland and so forth. And your dad, is the folks back in Ireland. <laughs> I mean, it's impossible to really say, I'm sure, because your life is your life and you don't know any different. But Taika... Like, uh, yeah. Was there a sense that there was a kind of like a slight imbalance there or difference there when it comes to like, a sense of Irishness?
1: Yeah, I think I think there definitely was. I think um, one of my main memories um,
0: of both my
1: parents in the, with the English-Irish thing was my mum's would always be... Um, just for the her example that I'll give, that they used to say was um, my mum would always say the weather was so much worse in Ireland, um, and that was like a big, that was a, a kind of a big sort of theme that I, I just remember conversations about that. Like, um, and it would really annoy my dad. Um, so I think my mum had a much more of a leaning towards um, where she'd grown up, essentially, like in London, um, but then she would be very she would be very quick to say that if there was something, um, if there was sort of a, a difference or something or a family did something that we um, didn't place like particular importance on or they, just, they did seem a slightly different way, my mum would say um, it was English. So she couldn't, we just couldn't like relate to it or it was just a difference, like, that's how, it's a different way of doing things that we don't do it like that. So she sort of, so I don't think in a way she doesn't realise how, irish she is she still doesn't actually because i've had this conversation with her um i obviously had a lot of conversations with her about it in general since um i started doing the research and it was then when i said i said to her like she's obviously she's she's all irish like both, her parents are both irish and um, but she never really yeah she's definitely um she's definitely very connected to london i think where she grew up um but yeah there was there was so there was definitely a a split there with their two different experiences um and I think, um, but I, th- I think my dad had that separately with the sense of he had the idea of, you know, the kind of those that stayed, those that left, and you know, a lot of his family stayed um, and and obviously a lot did leave as well. So my dad was from a, a really, a really large family, there was 13 of them. So there was, a, yeah, a good portion of them obviously stayed and then a lot of them left, but he's, he probably still has that now. It's that feeling that you're, um, when you go back, you're not, you left, didn't you? So it's, but when you're here, you're, you're always. It's not your home, and you know would be home. And um, whereas, whereas, um, my mum, it is. This is home for her.
0: You're listening to the Plastic Podcasts. We all come from somewhere else. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Threads. Born in Brent in 1987, Emma O'Rourke's parents got together during that time in the late 20th century when Shane McGowan and his band dominated the musical landscape of London Irishness. Pitting hope against hope, I wonder if her mum and dad might have got together at a Pogues gig. <laughs> that would be good.
1: No, they met in a um, they met in a Irish bar in Willesden opposite the station, it's now Sainsbury's and it was called Nellie's. and I did find it actually in the archive, I found a tiny little um, flyer from Nellie's because not many people have heard of it the the really famous one was the Moor, which I'm sure you've heard of, that everyone used to go to the and um, which they also did um, but yeah, they met in Nellie's. but my, when my dad first moved over he lived in um, I think he was in Streatham for a while, he moved over with his brother um, and then eventually, yeah, he ended up in Wilson, where they met but um but it, it, i think my mum did go to a lot of irish bars and pubs and and things
0: so they they met at nelly's yeah was there eyes across a bar did they know friends
1: <laughs> um i don't know actually um my mum my mom's never drank my mom's like um completely teetotal my dad was probably very drunk and I remember the, the only thing he told me about the night they met was they went around the corner and my mum had a I think it was a red Fiat car. They showed a car, and I think my dad's immediate thought was, "Oh my god, like she's she's got loads of money." <laughs> but um, of course she didn't. <laughs> she's got a car. Um, but um, but yes, it's just because she, my mum was always the driver, because she didn't drink. But um, but yeah, I don't um I don't have much more. I I know they had. I know I was, yeah, I was born relatively quickly afterwards um but I don't have much the 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 only I've got I've heard a bit about when my dad came over I think it was around the time of um Bruce Springsteen as well and that kind of era and um yeah my dad's always been a Springsteen fan just very very 80s which um I I do I do enjoy 80s and 80s music and yeah sort of has memories of like my auntie and uncle's weddings and like the VHS and songs they play such as I'm not gonna be able to remember the song there's a certain song from um my auntie and uncle and I was a bridesmaid um I'm not I, I'm not gonna remember who it is but whenever I hear it it's like right back not so much back to the wedding can't remember the wedding um it was the VHS to I remember sitting in my nan's living room and watching it um which again does relate back to the interesting thing with memory where my memory of it is the construction of it and the way I even remember the slides from the from the um, video they like you never see that done now wedding videos it was like their wedding and then they had like they they like, zoomed in the two slides of them as children and then they kind of had the montage of like photos when they were going out and stuff it was um it was a really great wedding video <laughs> um, and I remember the music from the background of it but yeah but the actual wedding I don't um I don't have any memory of I think I would have been maybe three. So yeah, it was more the memory of watching it. But yeah, I can't remember the song. I'm sorry. One of my um one thing I really want to do in the next couple of years is do a proper a proper trip over to Ireland and hire a car and go all around Kildare. Because I think I think my dad they lived in his dad was from Athai. Um and they lived in they lived in Kildare for a bit and then he was born in Port Leash. Um, but I only found out fairly recently that my nan, who I thought was also from Kildare, she was actually from Cork. She's from Liz Carroll in Cork. Um, and then I can't remember why she was in Kildare, but my granddad was a, I'm trying to think the right term, I think it's a smithy. She used to make shoes mm-hmm. in Kildare. But yeah, I'd, I'd really, I'd like to go back there and find, um, I thought that actually a lot when I was listening to the Mick Ord podcast. Um. And he talked really greatly about how someone, he went over there and he was staying in the hotel and they drove him down. Um, They drove him to find, it was like a family relative. And like someone, and the, the people in the shop that were talking about the relative knew, they had never actually met them, but they knew them. Yeah. Do you remember that? But yeah, and I, I thought that was really interesting actually. And there definitely is. Michael
0: Toohey.
1: Yeah. it's and there's, I, I definitely think that's quite an Irish thing of, um, there's a real sort of, You've, if you've got that Irish connection, which I, I really felt, as you can do in the exhibition, especially with um, the little bits I did, um, the little bits of press and stuff I got from it, was I found that the Irish press were really supportive. And I thought that there's there's a nice sense of, um, even though, you know, I, I've been born in England, there was having that kind of, having that connection, They they really... You, feel, you just feel very welcome and you, you feel like there's a genuine interest I think in in your family and where you're from and like there's an importance in that and I think that's what you can't you can't get from I, I'll never get from living here because I, I don't feel I don't have that connection to it it's just that it, there isn't that there isn't any sort of roots for me to to look up or, or feel the connection to and I think that's that's the draw really now as I as an as an adult I say that as probably more as in a different stage of my life after um having a kid and I feel much more like I want to go back and see it in a different light not just in a like where can we go out kind of thing
0: <laughs> so uh yeah your, your, your mum your mum uh meets your dad and um she has a fiat and um, <laughs> I and hope year, I've got the right car now. And, and, and a year later, otherwise we're going to be bombarded with all kinds of stuff like, uh, you know. It's, it's like, going
1: to be outrage.
0: I'm home for a sponsorship deal. Let's get it right. Um, <laughs> and uh, a year later, you're born. Uh, are you the eldest of a number? Are you the only only child? No,
1: it's just me. It's just me.
0: And so as you're growing up, and obviously yeah. you're sort of developing the memories, as you say, so like, uh, you know, looking at your 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 folks wedding over at your 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 grandma's place at the age of three, and that creates memories and so forth. I mean, do you remember when you first decided I want to be an artist?
1: I was always i was I was I was quite uh, quite childish you know um, I was always drawing and i liked I liked stories and I, I, I think that's um I have a lot of memories of my dad telling me stories um when I was younger. And especially ones about, I think Bill and Ben used to feature quite a lot, and he does that now actually with um, my son. He's really just great at telling stories, and he can just tell a story really easily. Um, so I think stories were, were definitely a big part. And I think because I think also as a child as well, you're probably drawn to things that you're you're that are well received. So if so, it's school and things. If you're you know you draw a lot and you know people people like your drawings, and you're going to be you know told they're good, and that's going to make you like want to do it more I guess um but my degree was actually in theatre design and that was kind of the coming together of the two so it was like because I was I was also really like reading so it was like um the stories and then with the drawing um but yeah that was I think so I, I think stories have been the biggest the biggest theme and then I guess art was just an obvious choice really to go alongside it I think I remember writing in year six when we did, we did some extra religious lessons. I don't know what they were. We were preparing for something. I can't what it was. I remember writing that I wanted to be. I think at that time, I think I said I wanted to be an interior designer, which um, is kind of crazy now. But then that was like Year Six. <laughs> um, but I, I always wanted, I always liked art. I like music as well. But yeah, it was. I definitely was interested in like creative subjects and um, inner worlds. I think which is still a big theme of the work I do um and how you can have like quite a rich inner world um regardless of where you are. But um but I did I didn't grow up in a arty household at all. Um parents had yeah they they weren't in any way. I wouldn't have gone to galleries or anything growing up. There would have been no sort of exposure or anything like that to it. I remember I had a little red table um and used to put my paintings up on the wall. So I can sort of and I remember really liking I remember getting a pack of Crayola pencils for Christmas from Santa. And that being like a, that's like a big memory. I just, say so I really like treasured things that had do to do with like boring or yeah, all my like, those, those kind of things.
0: So what did you do as a child, as a family?
1: As in like days out and things? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. I've never asked me that before. Um, we used to, I remember we used to go on holiday, if we went on the holiday, we used to go to Devon a lot. Um, and... We'd, we'd, we'd go to kind of we wouldn't we wouldn't go to like a I don't really go to a gallery we might go to a museum of sort of like the local area or something or like kind of souvenir-y sort of shops and like little kind of like little villages I guess and stuff like that um but I can't yeah that's such a, that's a good question I definitely don't have which I thought a lot about you the theme of memory I don't have I have more, I have feelings around, feelings around periods of time, um, but I don't have strong kind of this happened then sort of memory, if that makes sense, Um, but yeah, but I I remember we had a, I remember, yeah, we would do, I guess we would, yeah, we'd do like days out and things, or we would go to, um, and we're going out on my bike, and we did kind of outdoorsy stuff, I guess, Um. But yeah, I don't I can't really that's a good question. I can't think of like particular places that we went or yeah, I just I just know that we didn't we didn't go to galleries or anything like that.
0: Was it coastal towns you would go to?
1: Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, we would go to coastal towns. I remember everywhere I we went on the holiday, my dad always wanted to move to, like <laughs> wherever it was. <laughs> which I kind of understand now. I think I've I've got in touch with that. Um, although holidays are holidays are obviously different when you have a kid. So, um, but I was always, yeah, I would have been. Um, we 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 I had a few memories going to the theatre actually, and on holiday I remember I went to see the BFG, which I really enjoyed. Um, but yeah, I would have been quite a. I'm trying to think how I describe myself as a child. I would have been. I would have, there would have been a lot of books and I would have had, I definitely went through phases of being like really into certain things. Um, Flower babies was a big thing at one point. I don't know. There was like a book on them. Do you know about flower babies?
0: I don't.
1: Don't. It was just, um, I think we, I think it might be in year six and we all made them. Um, Yeah, it was just flower essentially. I think they're in tights and it was your baby and you could have had like a little face in it. And I remember we all used to keep them under our desk um they were a big thing for a while but I think that was just like the time of like growing up in the 90s there were certain fads and then there was a point where everyone had um a tamagotchi that was a really big thing and then um a yo-yo there was yo yos at one point um but yeah and I, I have memories as well of going to like family gatherings and things like that um my mum's got three brothers here and they've all got two children so I've got Uh, quite a lot of cousins here and there was always like christenings or communions so there's quite a lot of like family events that we went to as well
0: We'll be back with Emma O'Rourke in a moment but first it's time for The Plastic Pedestal that part of the podcast where I ask one of my interviewees to pay tribute to a member of the diaspora of personal, cultural or political significance to them Today, local journalist and writer Declan McSweeney talks about Liverpool-born Irish Republican, socialist and trade union leader James Big Jim Larkin.
2: Jim Larkin, I suppose, is a figure who unites Britain, Ireland, and to some extent the United States in the sense that he was born and bred in Liverpool, spoke with a Liverpool accent, but he was probably the dominant figure in many ways in the evolution of the Irish trade union movement. Uh, And he also then, of course, spent time in the United States, was involved in the the unions there. So he's, um, he is a figure that continues to inspire uh, both the Irish trade union movement. And he's also, I know he's also very much uh, known in Liverpool and very much remembered by many people there. Um, You know, he's... um, a lot of he 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 was someone who traught, sought at the time of the divisions really over the the Dublin lockout. He he was conscious that that was taking place against the backdrop of sectarian divisions, and he sought to rise above that. You know, to bring people together whether they were Catholic, Protestant, whatever. Um, You know, I mean, one of the he spoke about, for example, he, he went against the grain in some ways, in the sense he, he ran a temperance crusade. And, you know, he realized a lot of guys were wasting their money on drink. So he tried to do that. And he he was on record as saying he got a lot of support from the Methodist and Presbyterian churches there at the time. And, uh, you know, I think that's one of the things that we really remembered his legacy of sort of bringing people together.
0: Declan McSweeney there. And if you want to hear more of what Declan has to say, why not listen to his full interview? Just go to the episodes page at www.plasticpodcasts.com, click on Declan's name and photo, then let the full McSweeney wash over you like a warming river of truth. And while you're there, why not bathe in our other veritable network of interviews, all three years' worth, also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Audible. But while you're still there at www.plasticpodcasts.com, why not subscribe? Just go to our homepage, scroll down to the bottom, click on the link, and one confirmatory email later, you can surf the Diaspora Tsunami like a champion. Dude. Now back to Emma O'Rourke. And having talked of both memories and of childhood, I wonder whether becoming a parent has altered her as an artist.
1: Yes, definitely. Yeah. hundred percent. I, um, I've always done like creative stuff. I did a lot of like different projects really in my twenties and a lot of different, I did a lot of different jobs, um, as most people do. And then I went self-employed, which is the only thing I've stuck at actually. Um, and yeah, I was, I was involved in various like projects and I did theater stuff and, um, festivals and I used to do a lot of drawing my, my work was quite different though I used to I used to do very sort of um it was like pencil drawings and they would be very accurate like trying to sort of uh what's the word like a, a realist realist kind of um interpretation of like a photograph or a person or they're very sort of yeah, neat pencil drawings um and then it completely I'd say it completely changed with completely really from having um having my son and there were also COVID was a big part of that as well. Um and I think we were forced to up until he was about 18 months, I used to take him to um we just used to go to exhibitions really in London and yeah I was out and about a lot with him and then COVID hit and we were obviously all in um for a long time. And I that was when I enrolled enrolled that year at the Essential School of Painting in wood green and i started doing crits with them and that was all done online and that really changed um that really changed my work and i think i just became became a lot more expressive and a lot more um a lot more sort of i I just became a lot more interested with expressionism and the idea of things as feelings and sort of just um as opposed to trying to recreate something just making the work as you feel it and i think that also comes from having a child in that time to work there's it, very rarely that you'll get um like a day to do something and um, my son only started school in September so um I've really worked in sort of like blocks of time and I think I work now quite quickly and I think with that especially with drawing I find it a lot more interesting and a lot more expressive too especially if you're drawing someone to do that quite quickly and to get a sense of them um and I think that's come from Just logistics really of time and um situation like where you might be if you're drawing or making something um and I feel a lot more satisfied with uh, looking at the work I've made since then um and I feel like it has just a lot more um a lot more feeling in it I guess because I'm not you're almost there's no time for something to be um overthought overworked because you're just you're making it in response and it just it feels a lot more um, honest i think would be a good word.
0: so would you say you become much more instinctive as a result of that
1: yeah instinctive that's a good yeah that's a good word um yeah instinctive and not as i think that in general actually about having a child in general i think i became a lot less self-conscious about putting work out there um so i guess it's definitely given me confidence that I wouldn't have had so much in my 20s it would have been a lot more kind of is this the right thing or should i do this or and i think it just it feels a lot more natural now to make things and put them out there um and then also feel that yeah you then obviously you start to build like connections with other people and people that have like similar experiences or um might also have children and you connect on that level but yeah it just it it doesn't feel as um It feels a lot, it's it's ironic because I think once you have a kid, you obviously have a lot less time and you wonder what you did with all the time um, before you had a kid. But actually, um, I feel like it's become a lot, it's become a lot more easier for me to make work Um, and I feel like I use the time I have better as a result of it because it's a lot more structured in the way, in the only way it can be.
0: When we were talking a little earlier. You talked about, um, and you referred to our interview with Mick Ord and how, uh, when he went across to knock, uh, he was taken down to a local shop. And, uh, a, a woman there, the shopkeeper's daughter, uh, kind of had a recollection of, um, somebody that she'd never met. And this is that mm-hmm. kind of oral history aspect of, um, uh of, of the the, the is very much part and parcel of, uh, of 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 Irish culture much more so I, I i think than than of English culture or British culture or at least it seems to be, it seems to be more prevalent so yeah. Let's put it that way uh i'm getting round to a point here don't worry i'm just going i'm just going round and round here so i'm
1: interested
0: what are going to say <laughs> so, so am i trust me we'll both be surprised <laughs> um but um i was talking with a friend recently and he was slightly saying how um uh myths and legends and particularly when they're oral myths and legends can change from town to town from place to place and so forth and you and yeah. you, and he's talking about greek oral legends and uh, roman oral legends and myths and so forth but there's a permanence when you put something down on a piece of paper mm-hmm. um but more importantly is the fact that so like, uh, oral histories tend to to change and so forth with the time uh and i'm wondering whether or not once you start to have this instinctive reaction to your own memories and an awful lot of your work does work itself around so like um your own personal archive or or photos yeah. or, or memories and so forth does your own reaction to those memories change once you've actually put it down on paper
1: yeah I think it does yeah I think it does completely I think um especially it's been interesting so so the show the the, the a show I did at wilson opened in November and um it was it was great to put it together and it was really great to see it all um and have have that as a sort of I, I think just even being able to see all your work in one place together. But I felt very much I, I found it quite hard to talk about it as you at the time because I felt like I couldn't see it. And I think that in general about things I make, I think I need I still think I'm. I still think I'm processing it now. It's been, um, well, it hasn't it hasn't really been that long, really, has it? It's not been that I many. Um, it's March now, so, um, but I feel like I'm getting there, and I think I'm, especially just even like reflecting and I'm also putting together, which is part of the newsletter I'm asking, um, I'm putting together a blog of like the experience of making the show and kind of how how it was then and how I'm experiencing it now, um. But it's very hard to see the work, I think, when you're making it. Um, and a lot of because you're generally working with you either work, so I'm either working with sketches I'm doing day-to-day, sketches I'm making um from archive material, might be photographs, or I might sketch something from like a museum, um, and then you're putting all those bits together and in your mind you're making something that is all those bits coming together in one in one image. And then actually when i reflect back on it say i might look at something again in a year all i can see in that image is the period of time i made it and it feels very much like it represents it doesn't represent the memories i think it did it represents exactly that that moment basically or when i made it um so i definitely think the things i'm putting into things in there and i guess that's what make weight that makes work contemporary is you're only ever making something really, which is the present. So it's never gonna be an exact copy of the memory you think it is um, or what you think is going into it. And then the the other side to it as well is I found, I made a piece, um, I made one piece for the show actually, It's a painting called Devotion that I've posted recently on uh, my Instagram and I've reworked it since then um, and put more I made more sketches from so generally if I work from a photograph I'll make sketches of the photograph and then um I'll work from the sketches so I made more sketches and I sort of thought more about I thought a lot more about um the environment the figures were in it's of two figures and the first time I made it there were they were just they'd sort of appeared um which I've been thinking about a lot recently because I, I often make images of like one figure and it's almost like a vision, but they're just they're often you know you're not really sure where they are. This was two figures. So I was thinking again okay, that we need some some sort of environment for them to be in so we can understand them together. So I put more into it and you can kind of see they're in like a dating sort of pub scene-ish. Um and then you can kind of see from their body language that they're together, but they're not they're not really together. They're not facing each other. Um which is central to the theme of this idea of two people being together. Um And what you know, think of marriage, what like devotion is when you choose to be with one person, and then how relationships change over time. And that you know, you you, people might be together and sticking by each other is an achievement in itself, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're together in a traditional sense. That they're not, um, the relationship, there's something there that is not sort of, yeah, you can see from their body language that something's missing um but the colors in the painting are very warm and there's a lot of oranges and red tones and so it feels quite warm and optimistic and yeah i've i've since put it out there and um one of um yeah one of my friends commented on it and she she she, she made that observation of the warmth and the optimism there and it was so interesting to see because she got bang on what it was and i found even me myself it was hard for me to see that So it's like when you put work out there, sometimes somebody else will see it from their own perspective and they might see something that you put into it that you weren't even aware of. Um, So I I find that really, and that's why it's it's really nice to show work and to get other people's opinions on it. But um, I definitely found from doing the show that I really valued all those conversations I have with everyone that saw the work and everything that they brought to it. And that really, again, that becomes, it brings another dimension and another memory to the work because you're, you're adding on all the different layers but it's very rarely the memory you started with
0: that's what i was going to say memory is kind of malleable on that front isn't it
1: yeah yeah um, definitely
0: that you talked earlier about it wasn't that you remembered specifically things so much as a sense of the thing that you remember
1: yeah yeah um, and i think no go on no karen no i was, I was going to say that as a lot about i think especially with childhood when your memory is um are more hazy and a lot of memories I have a sort of there's a warmth there of feeling like safe probably but I, I can't tell you why that was um or just there's a sense just a sense of things and then obviously all the different things that happen to you throughout your life you you very much have you're left with a a feeling of how you felt during that time and that can obviously change as well as you you might get more information about something that happened but it's yeah it's all all the different as you're saying all the different bits add on and they can change the memory
0: i'm going to jump on a word that you said there which was safe Mm -hmm. Uh, and that sense that there was a period in your time when you felt safest Mm
1: -hmm. or that
0: you look back on it with a slight sense of safety yeah what kind of period would you say that was
1: when I say safe, I see it as. I remember all. I remember feeling that there was always warmth. There was always food, and there was always so. Like I, I did. I moved around uh, quite a bit with my mum and dad when I was born. We lived in various flats, and we lived with my nan and granddad for a bit as well. But I don't remember that; so I was too young. But I remember I always felt safe in. in the sense of uh, there was always like the the very basic things like I've said like um, warmth and food I always remember that and I think um, I think that in a way has come from not a memory but a a story or a memory I have of my dad and he'll still talk about now is when he was growing up they didn't have that he very much grew up they grew up in poverty and um, you know they didn't They didn't have food he would remember being like starving hungry and they weren't warm they used to put all their coats on top of the bed to try and stay warm and um he talks about one big house he grew up he grew up in at one point and they were you know freezing cold and um yeah he he very much had so i think that would have been important for him to have for me not to have experienced that um that feeling of not having or yeah so i so i guess when i think of it i think of i think of feeling warm and i think that's a memory as i said from my own childhood but it's also added on the story of my dad's upbringing there's like two two memories together but um i can't remember a particular age i don't know i guess that young say like four or five
0: You're listening to The Plastic Podcast's Tales of the Irish Diaspora. Email us at theplasticpodcasts at gmail dot com. Memory, as has been noted by others far smarter than yours truly, is an inexact historian. It is deceptive and easily deceived, convincing yet malleable. In this last part of our interview, I begin by wondering whether working with her memories and those of others has changed Emma's relationship with the act of Remembrance
1: yeah i think i think it can go two ways when you're working working with an archive actually i think as it whether it's a archive like a physical archive you go to or your own personal archive i think it can either it can either be rose tinted and you can take out the good bit or it can become you're only interested in the darker side of it and i think and i think that has played a big part in working with memory. Um, and if you look at it from an Irish perspective, it's very much, um, I had a lot of conversations with this with my, um, friend Etna, um, who I can give a shout out to on the podcast. Um, she, who's a psychologist and we talked a lot around, um, with generally with Irish stories, you get the light and the shade, and that, it, it's all it's it's all it's always both. There's always, um, you, and you can look at it like in comedy and, um, especially yeah, from Irish like comedians and things, you've you've always got that within like generally in Irish families, you've got stories which will. There's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of sadness there, um, and then there'll be the other side of it. There'll be the flip side of it where you might make a joke of it, or there'll be kind of a there'll be a good thing there'll be a good what's the word um where something something comes good in the end sort of thing so you're sort of that might have happened but then that was how we saw it and then that was what happened um and I think that yeah so from working from from memories and from objects or photos that have those memories sometimes it depends really on the day which, which bit you might take from it and what like lens you might have on it and what you might see in it and then you'll take that bit and you'll make something from it and then that will change it again based around how you were feeling at the time um and I think a lot of the a lot of the stuff the stuff and work I guess the, the themes that I put into things made in recent years they will have and I'll probably be able to see that more in later years but they will a lot of them do have themes around um women and um, being a mother, very, very much like, very much where I am now, I guess, without me really realizing it. Um, and I think a lot of those, especially looking at themes from the Wilson show, a lot of the, a lot of the paintings were named after women, um, and I have thought a lot about Irish women and you know the kind of the lack of opportunities that there were, and also how my my memory of women growing up and going to a Catholic school was very much like there was either there was only really two women it was the Virgin Mary it was Eve so you were either the Virgin Mary who was you know sort of this perfect white I remember having I remember having a dream about Mary when I was really young and it was like a white tunnel with her and she was very I have she was kind of you know what you what we were told to believe was you know the best thing essentially and then you've got eve who was at the other end of it this this tempestuous and um everything kind of that was you know sinful there wasn't very much in between and you know it's people don't really fall into this good or bad category everyone has everyone has crossovers of each within them it doesn't make them doesn't make them bad or or good it's just you know we we are as we are i think i think everyone has it's made up of lots of different parts. Um, and that, I think, the memories of that and the memories from school in particular um, and the teachings of, you know, from the Bible and, yeah, stories of women within the Bible and how they were portrayed um, very much, you know, painted my picture of what women were. And then the bits I'm putting in now is more my my lived experience of how it is. So, I think I think I've gone on a tangent from your original question, but um, in general, I think that fits together with the idea of how the memories change, and how you and how something you put into something will then become a new memory.
0: When we were discussing um, this conversation in our previous things, you talked about this sense, this this working class sense that people like me don't do this sort of thing
1: yeah I talk about that a lot yeah um yeah I, I still think about I still think about class a lot I still talk about class a lot I talk about it a bit on uh, social media and I came from a very traditional working class background my dad's a carpenter my mum was a child for most of um most of my childhood from what I remember and people people there was no option to be an artist I still still think it's a it's a struggle, I still think, to do something like this, especially, which I know we spoke about, it's not necessarily about the lack of, all the the obvious things exist. So, you you know, you obviously don't have, you don't have a family connection doing anything. So you you don't have the, the, you know, you you don't have the money in, in a way another person would to be able to work for free or do whatever you need to get to a certain position. You don't have, um, there's not as many opportunities and and especially now, I know there's a lot lot more opportunities now and there's a lot more paid internships and there's a a bit done, not loads, but there's a bit done to try and help people from different backgrounds get into the arts and the arts is still massively middle class. Most people came from, you know, most people I speak to didn't grow up in working class families. That's just... A given and but the biggest thing for me is your internal dialogue and the way you talk to yourself and I s- still now it's I definitely have more confidence in myself I think I said since I became a mum whatever reason that is but I still think you know this wasn't this isn't for I this is isn't for me all of those things still exist and the problem with the arts is it's Obviously, notoriously not well paid it's not secure there isn't a straightforward career path it doesn't work if you work really hard at something it doesn't mean there'll be any financial gain from it, it it's never it, and you also might get to a point where you receive recognition for something but it doesn't mean you feel it yourself because for whatever reason your own you've already got your own sort of how you view yourself so it doesn't mean you're going to take that on board and feel anything from it um which I've definitely found it's hard for me, for me to do something can feel people might say oh did you feel proud of that or something I think I, I don't know I don't really I'm not really like that I don't know it doesn't really come of... so I think all of those things still exist in your mind and I think that very much is a class thing and I think I've seen that in how you view yourself or doubt or even how you're able to, from a quite a young age, I think I was really aware of that. I, it's like selling yourself, and I've always I found that I found that quite uncomfortable. It's something you have to sort of I think push through, but it definitely doesn't come naturally to me to put myself out there in a lot of ways. And I still there's still always that thing in the back of your mind that says, you know, this isn't a proper job. <laughs> it's it doesn't go away it doesn't um yeah and I, I i do think it's largely largely based on class
0: last couple of questions this is just like a, don't 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 consider this will be put down as, as as your personal biography or on record forever but it's just instinctive answers okay yeah so what's the best color
1: Nicker pink
0: it's what <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so when I was at uni did You just I used say
0: knicker to... pink.
1: Yeah. When I was at when I was at uni, I did I used to do a wash over everything I did and my tutor said it was knicker pink and it was a kind of a pale knicker pink essentially. So that's come that stayed with me and I still I still use it quite a lot actually. So yeah, knicker pink is that's did my you
0: to... Did you go into a shop at all for nicker Knicker Pink? <laughs> no. <laughs> you definitely
1: can't. I actually think the colours I use now are probably slightly more vibrant. But I still like that kind of washy pink. I like orange as well. But anyway, let's go with Nicky Pink.
0: Right you are. Uh, First song you ever heard that you liked on the radio?
1: Oh. Oh, God. First song I heard on the radio that I liked. First... One of my first memories of music was my, our CD player. I had to question them what it was called because they're just not used now. I know i has just like a CD player. And my mum used to play Beautiful South. There's a song where it's like, she's a perfect 10, but she was over 12. Save a little perfect. two for me. What song is perfect, that?
0: Perfect 10. It's called, it's called
1: Perfect 10, isn't it? That was one of the first songs. I, I remember my mum used to write down the lyrics, Don't know why, in like a notebook. Um and I remember how I remember the little bit at the beginning of it. I remember liking that song. D- I don't know if that's my first memory, but we'll just go with that. <laughs>
0: Friend of mine's in the video. Really? Yeah. Fellow called Steve Luffy, no longer with us now, sadly. Um, and last question. Mm. Um, which is the question I ask all of my interviewees, which is what does being a member of the Irish diaspora mean for you?
1: It means having a place and having a sense of identity and community and other people that get it, I think, and I felt more connected to my Irish heritage since the more, the more research I've done and the more work I've done and the more I've owned the identity, I think I felt more more connected but also there's been a a more of an understanding of myself and my family and why things are the way they are why things are said why people act a certain way everything just makes a bit more sense I think and it makes me feel like something I'm part of something bigger which is really important.
0: You've been listening to The Plastic Podcasts with me, Doug Devaney, and my guest, Emma O'Rourke. The Plastic Pedestal was provided by Declan McSweeney and music by Jack Devaney. Find us at www.plasticpodcasts.com, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or threads, or email us at theplasticpodcasts at gmail.com. The Plastic Podcasts are a proud member of Irish in Britain.